Uh, we are in a series here at South Creek called Who Told You That? And it's this series that's been all about the lies that we not only sometimes believe, but sometimes we live out. And we've talked about the source of lies, which goes back to the garden where uh, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve are tempted to not believe that God is who he says he is, that God is not good and worthy of, of trust. And they break that trust. They eat the apple and they figure out that they are naked and they feel shame as they begin to see, experience the separation because of sin with their creator. And God confronts them and says, who told you? This. Who told you this lie that led to this destruction and this separation? And ultimately, what we've been talking about during this series is this reality that the best way to defeat the lies that we are given is by understanding the truth. That ultimately, if there was an antidote created for the disease of a lie, the serum would be just the truth. And we've been talking about lies that we believe about God. We've talked about lies that we believe about ourselves, and every single one of them ultimately goes back to what we believe about God will reflect into what we believe about ourselves, and ultimately, as we're going to talk about today, how we view and what we believe about others. Last week, I, I told a story. You might have remembered it. And uh, if you weren't here, basically, I, I told this story about how when I was a teenager, when you, know, you feel the most self-confident, right? You're not dealing with awkward phases or anything like that or insecurities, um, my parents gave me this Bible. Um, I'm a pastor's kid, so like a Bible felt like a really cool gift. I'm going to be honest. I know I was not that cool. Um, but I got this, got this Bible, and I was like, it's a man's Bible. It's got fake leather, pleather. Um, and when I opened it up, it had a name, and I was really excited until I realized that the name was not my name. And uh, that the name on my Bible says Zach H-R-U-D. And uh, it was funny. My parents were excited because they got a really good deal on it because it was a misprint. Um, but I told the story about how, in a weird way, um, this Bible was sort of like a symbolic um, representation, a reminder that I still kind of keep in, in love, um, to be reminded of the fact that I um, really dealt with this lie that I wasn't special, I wasn't good, I wasn't worthy of something for myself. And maybe you've experienced that in your life before. There was something that a teacher or a coach or a classmate or a sibling or someone along in your life intentionally or unintentionally did that made you feel less than. There's also this beauty that sometimes we get the chance to do um, what my friend, uh, Pastor Jerry Osbrook, who, who you've heard preach here before, he, he um, I actually followed him. So he, not like creepy like stalker followed him, but um, so... Friday marked 10 years here at South Creek, which is crazy, by the way, because um, when I moved here, I was 12. Um, anyways, thank you. Uh, but when I moved here, I, uh, Pastor Jerry was kind of retiring. I was sort of like replacing him and someone else. Um, and what was, what was wild about, if, if you've never met um, Pastor Jerry, he is one of the most kind and encouraging people you'll ever meet. Long before I deserved it, or long before he had evidence for why I probably don't deserve it, he was such a huge advocate and encourager for me. And him and I had a, had a conversation once that deeply impacted me, where he, he taught me about this concept of giving people the gift of significance. And it's this idea of in a world where people are constantly distracted and, and kind of bringing people down and nitpicking, there's this gift that we have as followers of Jesus to give them significance, to look them in the eye, to listen to them, to speak good truth over them. 
Not to give them validation or value from yourself, but ultimately that as a follower of Jesus, we are looking at them as a creation of God who is beautifully, that is fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, I, I, I thought about this, this summer, I had a moment where uh, I had a, a, a deeply impactful moment where someone gave me the gift of significance. Growing up, uh, some of you know this story, some of you have heard this at nauseum, but um, I was destined to be a great basketball player. The thing is, God forgot to give me height or talent, which is really cruel when he plants in my heart this idea of being an incredible basketball player. And so much of it came from the fact that Michael Jordan was my hero when it came to sports. And I was always in my, uh, my, my, my driveway playing basketball early hours of the day. My neighbors probably hated me because honestly, I had enough bricks that you could build a large, large house. But I, I wanted to be like him. You know, I'd pretend that I was doing the little the fadeaway like him. I pretended I could like glide like him. I had this um, small little SpongeBob basketball that I could palm when I was in middle school. You guys would not believe. If I had camera phones back then, the highlights you would get to see today would have been incredible. But I wanted to be like him, and I, I, I thought he was so cool in, uh, in his shoes. His shoes, I always thought, like, those are so cool. Uh, but have you ever had sort of like a subconscious thing where, you're, where, where you see something awesome or you see someone awesome, and you're like, that is for other people? Like, I can't do that. I can't have that. I can't have those sort of things. And, and here's the thing. Shoes are silly and pointless, but the very first day of um, sabbatical this summer. I get, we get a package at the front door, and I go to start opening it, and I'm just like, wait, you can't open that? And then she got really giddy and excited because my wife is the type of person who gets really excited about gifts and sometimes would just rather you open it as soon as you get it. Anyone else like that? And so anyway, she's like, just open it. It'll be great. And inside, I open up these shoes, and they are Air Jordan shoes. Now, I'm like the biggest Michael Jordan fan, and I'd never owned a pair. And there was like this weird piece of like, oh, it's the cost, it's the I'm not cool enough. And, and it was wild that when my wife gave me like this beautiful gift, it, it really wasn't about shoes. And she probably didn't realize it wasn't about shoes. There was something in that moment that she was giving me that she didn't get to own. It was something that she was giving me for my heavenly father who like looked at that little kid who just deeply wished that they were tall enough and could jump high enough and were cool enough to have something like this. She gave me that gift of significance and love. And again, she basically was throwing the alley-oop that God had given to her already. This morning, I want to talk about the lies that we believe about others because I believe that one of the greatest things that we could do as followers of Jesus to be great witnesses for him is by giving people the gift of significance. To teach people to teach our children, our friends, others, that they have deeply, wonderfully um, intrinsic value that has nothing to do with what they wear or what they could do or how they look, but has everything to do with their creator who deeply loves them and laid it all on the line so that we, we could be back in relationship with him. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to spend time talking about three kind of categories of lies that we believe about others. And the first one, I know you're probably going to be like, this makes no sense based off what you just said, but be there with me. We believe lies about others' opinions. We believe lies about people changing. And we believe lies about people's 
worth of God's grace. Now, as with all these lies, most of these we probably look at and say, no, I don't. But if we're honest, talk is cheap, right? Oftentimes, we tend to um, do a terrible job of living out what we say are our actual beliefs and values. If you ask me if I believe in being a healthy person, you better believe it, baby. But when I'm in the drive-thru of Taco Bell at 10.30 on a Wednesday night, I'm not sure if the uh, actions and my desires are lining up. So let's talk a little bit about these. You know, one of the beauties of the gospel of Jesus Christ is it does this, these two beautiful things, right? It reminds us that we are like so incredibly unique and valuable and wonderful that he created us in his image and we are good and that's incredible. And at the same time also reminds us that we are not the center of the universe. You know, one of the things that I have found is oftentimes I buy into lies of what I believe people think of me. You ever been there before? We, we've had those moments, right? We see the person in the grocery store. We wave at them. Nothing, right? And we automatically start going through the assuming game, right? Oh, man, they invited me to their 40th birthday party, and I never RSVP and came. They must hate me. They want nothing to do with me, right? In reality, they might just literally being like, I can't remember what my wife told me to pick up, and if I come home with the wrong thing, she might beat me. Um, we go through these moments, right, where we just, we, we are like, we are incredibly good. We could win long jump competitions in the Olympics if we thought about how good we are at jumping to conclusions sometimes, right? But it's also this thing where, for whatever reason, we have allowed ourselves to really deeply care about and live our lives based off the approval and opinions of others. Which is wild, right? Because at the end of the day, all that really matters is what God says about me, right? Who cares about what Phil from Buffalo had to say about me? Michelle from third grade, does her opinion really actually matter in cold water to who I am and what I look like? Ultimately, like if, if I think about the creator, it, it's one of those funny things sometimes where the, God created us in like, who is someone else to come along and be like, you did it wrong? I'm the one who created them. I'm the one who made them in my image. I made them good. And yet so often we have tended to want to believe in what others think of us. Now again, you might be like, well, didn't you just say that your wife gave you this gift and then like kind of gave you this validation? No, of course there's this piece where like as followers of Jesus, we want affirmation, we want love, we want encouragement. But here's the thing, oftentimes when we're getting those things, we are getting those things that are telling us about how great God's creation is. It's not saying that we're all that in a bag of chips, that we don't need to change or any of those sort of things. Because also one of the beauties of community, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks, is the fact that there is refinement and accountability and vulnerability. But also, there is not a person in the world that you will see today, tomorrow, the next day who could not need more encouragement, who doesn't probably need someone to remind them at the end of the day, like, hey, you're going to be okay. Every single person who is living and breathing needs others to remind them of not only who they are, but whose they are. But at the end of the day, we can't put so much stock in what others say about us, good or bad. Ultimately, there is only one voice that really matters, which is Jesus. 
in uh, Proverbs chapter 29. This comes from the message uh, paraphrase translation. I don't use it often, but sometimes I love the way that it says things. It says this. It says this, the fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. There is this reality that we can come into this place of just deep anxiety when we allow ourselves to just let the opinions of others dictate every bit of our life and our value and our worth. The way that we protect from that is trusting that God is good and what he says to us about who we are, how he created us, what he's calling us to do, then we're going to be fine. We're going to be good. Others' opinions do not give us value or validation, only God's does. So don't believe the hype from others, good or bad. Trust in the one voice who actually knows what they're saying, which is God. Here's the second lie I think we we believe sometimes. Sometimes we believe this lie that people never really change, especially for the better. You live life long enough. um, You have a long track record of seeing people disappoint you, right? There's not a single person in your life, even the person you love the most, who has not at some point disappointed you or let you down. Don't make eye contact with them right now if they're in this room. One of the things that's bad about life that I I struggle with, sometimes this this happens to me, is our heart can become so callous because we've been let down. You know, part, part, part of love, right, is, is, a, is a vulnerability that opens us up to the possibility of being hurt. That's why I meet a lot of people who have no desire for relationships, friendships, or even faith because they are worried, if I open myself up to that, I'm going to be exposed to being hurt. And they're right. It's totally true. But at the end of the day, it's really the only way. But I found more and more, even in my own heart, which I hate to admit, that I, I found this place uh, where oftentimes I just tend to, like, pe- tend to believe like people aren't going to change, they won't change, they can't change. And oftentimes I'll even believe this lie that like my actions, my relationship with people, my words that I may say to them have no bearing on those sort of things, which I oftentimes think is like the enemy's really great way of saying like, don't actually do anything you're supposed to do. It won't matter. Yet oftentimes, what we're called to do uh, out of obedience is not always about what the results will be, right? The phone call or text message we're supposed to make to someone, it's not like every time we have to assume that they're immediately just going to like fall down and break down and give their heart to Jesus in that moment. And oftentimes, because we don't see those results, we, we don't do them. But, but it's wild that we, as people who would proclaim to be changed by the blood of Jesus, be completely transformed, who would say, I once was dead, but I'm now alive, oftentimes don't believe that it would happen for others. Like, again, it goes back to this whole kind of thing, as, as the youths would say, uh, that we, we have, like, main character syndrome, right? Like, that we are so special and important and good that everything kind of goes around us. That we were special enough to be saved by Jesus. But Karen over there, probably not. Bartholomew, I don't know any Bartholomews, but probably not. And yet, it's ridiculous, right? Like, why do we assume that we are walking miracles and other people aren't? Why do we assume that for whatever reason we were able to change but others won't. Ultimately, it comes back to this idea that, 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 that is really the basis of this whole series is that, honestly, when we don't believe in the ability for other people to change, it says a lot more about what we believe about God than it does about what we believe about other people. 
Because at the end of the day, there's not a single one of us who ultimately are the ones who have the ability to change. We get to make the choice, but ultimately, lasting change, holiness, refinement, living in God's way, every single one of us will need God to do the heavy lifting for us. Yes, every person has to ask, but there's not a single person in here who has grown into the image of Christ without the help of Christ. And yet, for whatever reason, we don't always believe that others will do this. And we forget this idea, too, that then we, we withhold this grace and this love and this, this optimism and hope for other people that God has had for us, which is ridiculous because he has invited us to follow this classic thing called the golden rule, right? This comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, and Jesus said this, Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, let's just pause for a second. Um, I, I, I don't know about you, I stand here today because there have been others at some point who invited me along to understand and experience the grace of Jesus. I, I did not personally have a moment where I had no background and I'm standing in a field and all of a sudden I'm like, I get it. I am here in my journey because along the way people have invited me to know this. And part of the reason that they did this is because other people had done it for them and other people had done it from them. Every single one of us. I mean, think about this. The people that we read in, in the Bible, we could sort of like, if you did the, the six, six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon, right? Like we could all go back in time and find ourselves back with Paul and Peter and Jesus. Because every person who has found Jesus likely has someone who they trace their spiritual lineage back. Because at some point, someone experienced grace and they believed enough that others could experience it as well. And in some ways, it's like the game of telephone, which we're hoping it doesn't get messed up along the way, but where at one point, someone just decided they're not making the next call. And literally right now, there are people, by the way, who are desperately waiting for you to make the call whether it's through a literal call, <laughs> through your relationship, your actions, your example. But this golden rule, right? Do unto others what you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good for those who do good for you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. There's this call where Jesus is calling out these religious people at the time, essentially saying like, yeah, even sinners do the little things that you pat yourself on the back for. Congratulations on being nice to people who are nice to you. That's wonderful. The call of followers of Jesus is to be kind even to our enemies. And part of that even means believing that our God is powerful enough, that his grace and his mercy and love is good and beautiful enough, that even the people who persecute us, who don't like us, who will never repay us, who we believe probably will never change, God can change their hearts. And I'm not always saying that he will. But there's this reality that there is something that the enemy at some point has whispered into our ears, he's implanted in our heart, where sometimes I think he's just sort of said, who cares? Does it even matter? Why even try? Why even bother? And some of us wouldn't say that, but there's people in our mind. There are um, children, there are parents, there are people in our lives who maybe we're picturing right now 
And I, I don't want to give you pie in the sky, sort of like, no, it's going to happen for sure. We don't get to dictate those things. But there's so much of me that's like, why do I believe that in a God who does all of these miraculous things, who's changed my heart, yet I can't believe that he can still do it for someone else? Because at the end of the day, nobody is too far from God's grace. There's not a single person who is too far from God's grace. There's not a single person who God could not redeem and restore their life if they would be willing. And yet there is so much of the reason why I think so many people aren't experiencing that is because there are people who have already experienced it and they're doing the, this little light of mine and they're hiding it under a bushel, right? We have all of this like love and hope and goodness and so many of us, like it's wild. There, there's, there's statistics out there now where there is a growing number of people who are professing Christians who do not believe it is good to evangelize. It does, they think that we should not necessarily share the good news of Jesus with others because, well, they might not believe that and all that sort of stuff. Like, it is wild if that is our core belief that, like, the only hope we have is Jesus. Like, I'm not saying we need to be jerks and, like, stand on, you know, street corners and be like, turn or burn. Like, we don't do that, please. But there is so much of me that's like, why are we not doing more to actually like care about people and believe that they can change because we have seen it ourselves. And over and over, the story of Scripture is being tons of people who everyone else would have been like, forget them, and God's like, watch this. That person could never be used, watch this. That person is too far gone, watch this. God continually does it over and over and part of the reason is, again, we go back to this idea that we have false beliefs about God. We put God in a box, and yet Jesus taught us this. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Real talk, there are some days that I believe that with my mouth, but not with my heart. But there's so much of me that's like, if I've seen God do all of this, why can't he do it again? See, God can change anyone, and he will use anyone to help change them if they are willing. You are sitting in this room probably thinking, that's great. People like you can do that. We'll get them here, and they can listen. People do not need someone to stand up and just preach every Sunday. I mean, that's important. It's good. I like my job. Don't fire me. I made it 10 years. I'd like to make it a little farther. But here's the thing. There's not this special thing that you need to do to be able to share the love of God with people other than just literally showing up, being an example. Yes, saying words if God prompts you, but there is so much where it's like, if we would just be willing to be used, if we'd be willing to pay attention, to realize that there are so many distractions that we have that are not eternal or consequential, and we were just to literally steward well and live out who God has called us to in our everyday relationships, it is wild what might happen. Because in a world full of chaos and turmoil and a lack of peace, people are looking for this stuff. It's just oftentimes they're not seeing it in the lives of people who say they're Christians or there's not Christians who are actually inviting them in to experience it. Which is awful, right? Because it's like those moments where maybe you, you have been with someone and uh, you know I hate these sales tactics. I'm sorry if you've ever done this or bought this. But I started noticing a trend a few years ago uh, in marketing diet pills and things of that nature where people would like post these results and they'd be like, I lost 50 pounds in eight weeks. 
And then they don't tell you how, right? Because the, the gimmick is, if you don't know, they want you to DM them and send a direct message, and then they can get you in on, you know, a bunch of other things. And the sermon is not about that. But it is annoying, right? Because it's almost like some of us are like, look at how peaceful my life is. I'm not going to tell you. Just see it. Like what jerks? I've got peace like a river. Can I have it? I don't know. Probably not. You won't change. I'm not going to tell you anyways. Like, ah. what if we did? This summer, Hunter and I went on this um, really awesome trip, just the two of us. We got to go to a bunch of national parks and things like that. And, um, we're, we're flying back from, from Phoenix, and it's like a three-hour flight. And it was, I was super excited. Uh, there's nothing more awesome when you're flying than when you get one of the planes, right, that has the TVs up there with the preloaded movies and TV shows. You know what I'm talking about? And then they give you the really crappy headphones to use that aren't great, but you use them anyways. And uh, I was excited because I, I was like, sweet, I'm going to watch a movie. And I started flipping, and I found this movie um, called Jesus Revolution. Anyone seen this movie? I think it's on Netflix now. And anyways, the, the, the story is, is about, the, it's based off a true life story where um, there was this um, group of kind of hippie people who found Jesus in how um, the church, which was very kind of um, prim and proper and kind of stuffy, um, this church in California experienced this great awakening where um, kind of these old traditional stuffy people and these hippie people began to experience God's breakthrough together. And so I, I want you to watch this, this clip real quick. It's kind of like a, it's almost like a trailer is the best I could find, uh, but, but it's this conversation between this really traditional pastor and, and kind of this, this guy named Lonnie who is sort of this hippie um, leader of this movement called the Jesus People. Um, watch this clip real quick and, and then we're going to talk about it. Jeanette tells me you're a pastor. Yes. Currently. I know we must seem pretty strange. But if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see a bunch of kids that are searching for all the right things, just in all the wrong places. So to answer your question, how do I describe my people? They're sheep without a shepherd, chasing hard after lies. And the trouble is, your people reject them. So I ask you, Pastor, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? We can only walk through doors open to us. And your church? Well, that's a door that's shut. So I'm watching this movie, and gosh, I was not expecting to get messed up by it. I'm like starting to, to, to like feel a little bit. I'm trying not to look over at my wife who's probably noticing like, is he sweating or what is going on? And the lady's like, would you want peanuts? No, just let me watch. But um, man, that moment in the movie in particular 
particular, really deeply impacted me. Because I began to think about the world that we live in now. Because, you know, history tends to run in cycles. And uh, there was part of me that I was like, gosh, I always thought I would, especially because I have a beard, I thought I'd be the hippie guy. And there was so much of me that if I'm really honest, I'm seeing myself in the eyes of that stuffy pastor who is seeing like these, this younger generation and, and seeing like all their choices and things that they're doing, and even my own generation, and just kind of sitting back and thinking like, there's no hope. Like they, 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 there's so much that would have to change for them um, to, to, to really get it. And, and honestly, there's no way. And, and I love the line that, that, that the guy named Lonnie says where he says, they're looking for all the right things in all the wrong places, which is the story of human humanity. Where just that has been the story forever of constantly people searching for truth and meaning and value and validation, all these things in all the wrong places. And then the question I had to wrestle with as I was watching this is, is, is am, I, am I one of those people, am I, am I willing to open doors for people? You know, one of the things that can be hard is the older we get sometimes, the more we struggle to understand generations that come behind us, and more we feel this need to gatekeep and hold steady things that we think are important. And don't get me wrong, there's so many things where we do need to hold on to truth and foundation and things can't get moved around, but there's so many things that i found where it's style, it's preferences, it's things like that, and there are moments where more and more I'm like, Lord, please don't let me be a gatekeeper of your grace. Don't let me be the, the, the thing standing in the way of someone who, who, who maybe just is seeking truth and they just need to, to get there, but someone needs to open the door for them. Someone needs to let them know that it's possible. And there's so much of me that began to just feel convicted in my heart for the fact that my actions and my attitudes and my prayer life does not reflect the reality that I actually believe that anyone actually can change, that God can change anyone. And I began to believe this lie that maybe you've believed too, that some people are just too far from God. They're too far gone, and they don't even deserve this gift of grace anyways, if they could find it. Jesus tells this parable. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you it in um, the Gospel of Matthew, where there is this person who owe, owes a huge debt, and he, um, he gets thrown into prison for his debt, and for whatever reason, he gets a chance in front of the master, and he, he begs him, he pleads him to have mercy and forgiveness on him. And the master chooses to let him go to forgive his debt and, and just, he's free. And as the story goes, the man gets out and he sees this person, another person he knows who owed him a debt and he just, you owe me this debt and he ends up having this man who owed him this debt thrown in prison and eventually he finds himself back in front of the master and the master's like, why? And of course there's repercussions and the, the whole point of this story is this reality that so many of us wants and need and experience the, 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 the gift of grace and forgiveness. And yet oftentimes we don't want to give it to other people. And so much of it goes back because we don't believe they deserve it. This morning I, ho I hope you would realize um, that nobody is actually deserving of God's grace. That is what makes it so amazing. The amazing thing about God's grace is that literally none of us deserve it, yet he saw fit of love for us, that he would give it to us anyways. And there's not a single person whom we should believe cannot change, who we should believe is too far gone, or who we should believe, if we've gained it, that they don't deserve it. 
And so one of my great desires as a church is that we would embody being people of love and hope and life change. And I'll leave you with these last three things before the band's going to come out and sing one last song. Here's the first one. Uh, If grace has changed us, then we must believe and act like others can be changed by this grace, no matter what or who or where they've come from or what they have done. If we can believe that we can be changed, anyone can be changed. Because let's be honest, if you could see all my stuff laid out, all my terrible thoughts, all of my shortcomings, you'd be like, dear Lord. And I'd be like, yes, thank God for him. And I bet it would probably be true of your story. There's every single person who has junk and baggage in their life, and that's the incredible thing about grace is that it can change anyone. Here's the other thing. Never give up on people. God never gave up on you. Praise God. Because there are so many moments that if I was watching the story of my life, I would have been like, don't believe him. He's not going to do it. And yet God continues to pursue and to forgive and to love. And there's so much of us that we need to do the same. And the last thing is just this. This, is, this, is, this has kind of become a mantra here at South Creek. It's just this, that we should really believe that if, if hurt people can hurt people, we should also believe that loved people should love people. When I watched that movie and I began to get emotional, it's because I began to start thinking about the people in everyday life, my kids' teachers, um, their coaches, their classmates. And I began to, began to like, be convicted by God by this fact that, like, who am I to believe, like, well, my kids will get it, but the rest are like, I don't, you know, in some ways I've thrown up my hands, like there's just this defeat of, like, the world is so bad and so far gone. And, like, here's the thing. I don't think I, I, don't think I need to go out there and yell my opinions at people. I don't think I need to tell them um, uh, all of these sort of things. I don't think I need to hold on to power like some people need feel like we need to hold on to as followers of Jesus in this world. What I think followers of Jesus really need to do in our country again is pray for people, show up for people, and actually follow the way of Jesus. And I think if people saw our example and saw our presence and we actually believed in the prayers that we prayed, I really believe there could be revival and just like a revelation again in our world. Because why not? Do we really believe that our God is done moving? Do we really believe that, that like, ah, he's, I think he's used up all the magic? No. And, and, and for me, I can't. Because I see people created in the image of God who are destined for destruction and separation from God in this life and the next. Unless we're willing to do something about it. So this morning, I'm going to ask Pastor Cole to come back out, and he's going to sing one last song. Um, But as we sing, I I would ask you, I would urge you to maybe begin prayerfully thinking about, is there someone, is there some place where God is calling you to be a voice of the good news of Jesus Christ, to be a light in dark places, to be a person who is a believer in others, who is giving them the gift of significance, who is calling out hope and optimism because every single one of us who have tried to follow Jesus has failed and we've needed others to remind us to keep going.
to remind us of his grace and his forgiveness that is perpetually changing us. We need to be believers in others who see others and call them back to who they are. Because even though sin and destruction has pressed them away, God created them as sons and daughters. And it's time that we have a big family reunion. Would you guys stand with me as we're going to pray and sing this last song? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your love is so beautiful and powerful and wild. Father, I am so grateful for the fact that you never give up on us. I'm so grateful for the fact that your love is something that we, we don't hold the power to wield for others. We don't get to gatekeep your grace. Father, right now, there may be even some in this room right now that I pray that maybe for the first time ever, they are believing in who you say they are. And they are turning from the things, the sin, the shame that, that, that keeps them in the darkness and they are experiencing your light and they are experiencing true freedom in you. Father, would they know that there is a party going on in heaven for them right now. Father, I also pray for some of us who are, are, are feeling a, a sense of conviction, Father, for the fact that there are people in our lives, in our world, in our, our spheres of influence, who, Father, we have not prayed for, we have not engaged in um, intentional relationship with. Father, would today we leave this place changed, ready to actually be people who are speaking the good news of Jesus with our words, our actions, our deeds, our attitudes. Father, whatever you want to say to us this morning, just most of all, would you put a burden on our heart to be people who love people because we've been loved? Father, speak to us as we sing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.